Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with KH, or excuse me, I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. Get a little excited tonight. It's been a while. Yeah. This is episode number 052. Get the picture with Corey Martin. How are you doing tonight, Kyle? I'm becoming an old man, Dan. I'm actually been like taking Advil and stuff the last few weeks. Welcome uh, to been... the team. <laughs> yeah. Getting getting super old putting up a eight by 12 greenhouse. We got the, the, uh, raised beds in, we filled them with 10 yards of dirt that didn't get it nearly mm. as, uh, full as I thought it was going to 10 yards of dirt is uh, a lot of wheelbarrows. Yeah. We also did six yards of mulch in between all the raised beds. So, yeah, uh, that was, a and then did 50 cubic feet of pea gravel. Um, why do you hate yourself so much? Yeah, I don't know. My my wife keeps telling me all this delicious food that she's going to have out of the garden, so keeps me, uh, keeps me going. Now, now it makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I ground on some one fifty four or some CPM one fifty four today, and that feels like butter compared to Magna Cut. So I was pretty uh, pretty excited. In a little bit, I'll I'll talk about a new belt that I was uh, using from Phoenix. Ooh. Oh, yeah. You're telling me now, I just ordered like. I think I got my blade show order of like 60 belts in. Yeah, it's not a, it was an experimental run that they had at the Badger show. So they got mm. a, well, we'll talk about it now. Uh, they got uh-huh. a roll. I was at the Badger show. <laughs> yeah. uh, they got a roll from VSM of uh, a new, a new belt that's supposed to be self-sharpening and stuff, but they were, they were doing a Ooh. ceramic. I heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was a ceramic and they were selling them for five bucks a belt. So I told them to throw 10 of them in and I was using some of those on my CPM 154 today. You know, it only works as a teaser if you don't give the information up front. Like you got to <laughs> reference it and then make people listen to like almost the end and then give the information. I mean, this is yeah. this is like broadcasting. This isn't even broadcasting 101. That's like broadcasting 99. <laughs> but yeah, so uh was excited to to grind on some some less hard steel that was a good good change of pace so how are you doing dan pretty good i had a uh, i had a similar situation i was doing a little prototyping with 1084 and almost ground my hands off when uh after doing some magna cut i leaned into that 1084 like it was magna cut and it just evaporated <laughs> nice i'm doing well uh it has been fucking crazy kind of two weeks um and Dan's rants will catch up on a little bit of what's been going on, okay. but starting to catch up on back orders just in time to fall behind, to get ready for blade show. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, don't have any knives ready to go for blade show. So I need to get, uh, get it in gear for that. I did make a uh, new knife stand though. So, uh, and you're making the cool new uh, glue glue stands, which yeah. I need one by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 
I was tired of the the bottles falling over and I always hated how long it took for those big bottles, the epoxy get down to the tip from when they stood upright. So came up with a pretty cool design. It's flat packable and easy to ship. So that's key. Uh, the first ones I the first ones I made weren't very robust for shipping, uh, but they they worked really well. And uh, turns out a lot more people get frustrated with the same things I get frustrated with, it seems. So go figure. <laughs> Other makers have same problems you do. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, or all my life, I've been just told that I'm... Uh, oh, you grumpy, are special. Don't worry about I'm, it. That I'm grumpy and... No, no, no. You're mommy's special little man. <laughs> but yeah, so those are... Got one on the print on the printer right now. So uh, let's get into Kyle, our spot. That, that, you know, that may catch on. The 3D printer? No, Grumpy Kyle. Grumpy Kyle? Oh, great. Grumpy Bear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I noticed uh, y'all can't see, but apparently Kyle lost his razor. No, I've, I've had a beard ever since I was in college. Yeah, but it's been a while since you did that whole like five o'clock shadow thing. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, sponsors, I uh, got Jance Knife Supply. They're a great supporter of the podcast with a promo code KP Grip for 10% off handle materials. And they have a ton of them. Check them out. Got all pretty much anything you can possibly think of. And they've been really good at keeping stuff in stock when a lot of other places seem to be having a lot of trouble getting and keeping product in stock. And uh, they have a lot of pre-ground blanks and stuff too. Uh, and you can buy stuff to fabricate your own little, little knives and uh, have some stuff to get you uh, started in the knife making hobby. And then Atlas Materials has got... Uh, are they still doing the crazy fiber giveaway? I don't believe so. Okay. Somebody didn't update the uh, show notes. Yeah. Making life easier. Yeah. There you go. Updated. <laughs> and uh, Atlas Materials, uh, there's been a few things that have been spotty, but one of the things I love about Atlas is I can buy in volume. If you're doing batches of knives, it's nice to be able to get large sheets of like liner material, like eighth, sixteenth inch micarta. And the price per blade goes way down when you get like a 12 by 12 or a two by two. And Atlas has got some pretty cool. I love the, is it Jumanji? I keep wanting to say Jumanji because I think of that movie. Juma. Juma. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It is what it is. I am what I am. Stuck in a board game. I am. Uh, you know, I, I'm perpetually 10 years old, so. <laughs> Won't argue there. <laughs> but I love the, the scale patterns that they do. Yeah, those dragon those dragon scale Juma things are really cool. And they have that the imitation ivory, too, the, that's super cool. And they have a whole big line of Rafir products that yep. uh, they've got, like, the brass mesh and different things in there. So The chefs have been eating up the... Um, the faux ivory, the imitation ivory, because okay. it looks like some of the old school knives, but it is, um, it's been FDA approved kitchen safe. Cool. So a lot of my chefs have been really kind of into that because it gives them a, an old world feel, but it's, you know, it's not porous bone. Mm-hmm. And then Phoenix abrasives is a great place to get something to grind those, uh, the steel you get from Jance and the handle material you get from Atlas. They uh, have a discount code KP10 for 10% off your order. They, 
had that uh that experimental belt i don't they said they weren't sure if that was something they were gonna gonna stock or not but they got a got a roll of it in and they made up a whole bunch of belts that they were selling for five bucks a piece at the badger show the 36 grit that uh it worked pretty well uh depending on how how expensive that belt is um i definitely got better life out of the purple belts than i did that uh vsm one and that's the one where uh the pieces keep breaking off and you keep getting a, a sharper and sharper edge yeah that's what it that's what they said but i didn't era i feel like the purple belts on at least on the hardened steel uh seem to work better for me uh last longer with the 36 grit so yeah oh, i drank the purple belt kool-aid like i drank the uh norton blaze kool-aid for 10 years <laughs> welcome to the club yeah also you get one of the other sponsors of the podcast is old hound cutlery they're a dealer of cage daily knives and dogwood custom knives also and they have a generous discount code kp10 for 10 percent off all orders the epoxy stand like we had mentioned earlier they sell all the g-flex and they also sell the the g-flex die which is uh really good i use that in to fill in and uh, color the epoxy for all my file work uh really helps that stand out so and uh, uh dyeing the epoxy to the same color as your handle helps with some of those uh those newbie oopses yeah uh, yeah. Sometimes those glue lines don't show so much if your glue is the same color as your handle. Yep. And if you put a black liner in there too, yep. get, you can get that at, uh, at oh, that's, Atlas man, that's and Old Level knowledge. I can't believe you're just giving that away now. <laughs> Dark yeah. liners on the bottom is key. Yeah. Well, I tell people I like it because it helps like box in the file work, makes it even more pronounced which i think it does anyway but also helps with the ghoul line stuff which has the advantage of being both true and cover and shady <laughs> so yeah um and you know, like we mentioned old town is a dealer of cold or of dogwood custom knives and cage daily knives and they also have all your big manufacturers and stuff benchmade spider co Rough Rider, all sorts of different uh, different knife companies there. I like the Rough Riders. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of high-end pocket knives, and I love them, but just for everyday carry, they've got some of the, the classic patterns, and for 20 bucks, I can get three or four of them, and one's in my pocket, and one's in the car, and one's at the shop, and I've always just kind of got one handy. Yeah, I, I was re-listening to the, the Dylan show. I was a glutton for punishment, and listened like uh, one of my podcasts ended and ours came up and I just listened to it all the way through. And Dylan said that he bought, bought one for him and one for his son. And he said it sounded, or when he said it, it sounded so sweet. He threw up in his mouth a little bit. <laughs> that, yeah, that, crack, that cracked me up so much. And uh, you can find Dogwood Custom Knives also at Knife Center and the Cook Station. And you can find Cage Daily Knives also at Northside Cutlery. They are going to be at the Forge to Table event, I think it's called, out in California. Uh, Neil Kalamamora and uh, Mariko Mamasi are doing a like kitchen knife uh, invitation thing. And uh, cool. Kevin's going to be out there uh, as a Chicago knife culinary representative. So they've got some of the, the different or some culinary shops from uh different big cities to help promote some of the kitchen knife stuff so cool uh definitely check that out that's at the end of this month uh, i believe it's 
or the 30th, April 30th. So uh, definitely check that out. Because as we all know, the coolest people make kitchen knives. Yeah. Woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Mostly cool people make kitchen knives. <laughs> uh, speaking of cool people, I met a ton of them at the Badger Knife Show that I mentioned a little bit earlier. You got to uh, hold your pinky up when you say Badger Knife Show. Yeah. Um, got to uh, got to see Greg and Sean at, from Phoenix Abrasives. I don't know how I forgot to take a photo of with them, of them. Uh, but I got a photo of a lot of other people. Cody Hoffsummer. Uh, I believe that's how you say his last name. He made a super cool fighter, like double guard fighter uh, that won best in show at the Badger Knife Show. When you say double guard, do you mean high and low or do you mean like a guard and a quillion at the back? Uh, It was a front guard and then one that would be like in between your index and middle finger. Gotcha. Um, Yeah, super cool. Uh, Our our guest tonight took a super cool photo of it. Uh, that I don't think I've actually seen out on the internet yet. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, super supporter of the podcast, uh, Jess Hoffman, saw him, bought a bunch of stabilized wood. He said, yeah, I may have a handful of blocks to sell. Well, he had a four by eight table full of wood that was partially double stacked. Definitely ended up spending way too much uh, <laughs> on more handle material than I than I need got so much handle material i can't seem to stop buying it but you can't get a handle on it yeah um i got a a huge piece of vintage canvas micarta while i was there uh it's almost two inches thick and it's like uh four inches deep and it's 30 34 inches long weighs like 50 pounds (laughs) it's a huge piece of canvas micarta that's pretty serious piece of micarta yeah Matt Krebs was a guy that I talked to for quite a while. Uh, he does rock solid scales. He also has Krebs custom knives. Uh, super cool talking with him and uh, yeah, makes some cool stuff too. And I uh, got to see a guy that helped uh, kick off my sanding buddy, Bill Binky. Uh, always good talking with him. He's doing a lot of cool knife making items too. He makes, makes a file guard that is set at a 30 degree angle. So you put your piece in and you can put it up against the the grinder and the carbide faces will uh, cut it at a 30 degree angle for bolsters and stuff. So that's pretty cool. I've been thinking about doing some bolsters and stuff on my my kitchen knives, and that'd be a super cool, super helpful thing. Got one of those. Got to see Corey's dad, Peter Martin, always making some cool stuff. He won best. Was it best folder, Corey? Uh, Guests don't speak yet. Well, you know better than that. <laughs> I think he did. And then uh, Wesley Wernmont was another cool guy talking to. He uh, asked me to talk about a knife show that's coming up that we'll talk about here and at the end. And uh, Clarence DeYoung, he doesn't have any real social media stuff, but he makes some super cool stuff. He does a lot with old farrier's rasps uh if you haven't seen some of his stuff uh give him a google i've been telling him he needs to get a social media account he makes some super cool stuff he had one knife that he submitted for the the best knife uh he had like bored out a hole and then he found some like sand dollars that were like maybe a half an inch in diameter cool like super small. And then he uh, filled it in with epoxy and stuff uh, inlaid in the handle it was super cool. Yeah. Um, 
we should add to the list. Um, we need to find a marketing person. Marketing uh, person? Yeah, because, uh, I mean, we've talked about that, like, Clarence is an example of a really phenomenal knife maker that's got no presence. Mm-hmm. We need to have somebody on to talk about the, you know, it doesn't matter how great your product is. If nobody's ever heard of you, you're going to go broke. Yeah. yeah. If any of our listeners have anybody in mind or know of anybody that uh, would know marketing stuff, uh, shoot us a message. And then uh, another guy that I talked to uh, was the first time I actually like was able to talk to him for a while where his table wasn't completely covered every time I walked by. Uh, Eugene Shadley, he's got a Instagram and he also wrote a couple books. Uh, I've got the shop copy of his How I Make a Multi-Blade Folder. Um, it was illustrations by Jim Corrado. And it's super Just for the record. What you held up to the camera was completely blank. Yeah, it's the back side of the book. I was reading the front side. Oh, but uh, he makes Lord. these shop shop copies because the original ones that got printed, there was like a thousand of them, he said. And um, they're like four hundred dollars on ebay or something right now and these shop copies i think were like 50 bucks or something like that well, but it's they're just spiral bound so they'll lay flat that's yeah and I mean, he's a, got, that's a working man's book yeah tons of photos and everything of how he does it uh really good book uh hit him up he also uh signs them uh when he sends them out if you buy them direct from him um and the foreword of it was written by tony bows a uh fairly uh accomplished slip joint maker so definitely check that out super cool book and um he also showed me a a book that almost nobody has known about because they only made like a hundred of them you're such a book nerd yeah uh super cool like multi-blade folder book um and then uh saw another hang on so now you're going to tease people like, are you going to tell anybody the title or we're going to have to listen to the end to get that? It was, he was, he was holding it up in the picture on the knife perspective uh, picture he was in. Oh, nice. Make people yeah. Easter egg. Man. Yeah. See, you got this marketing thing down already. <laughs> uh, yeah. I uh, saw Tony from TNT forge and uh, always good talk with him. And uh, Frank Grissom of Griffin or Grissom Knife and Tool, he got me to do something I haven't done at the Badger Knife Show for like five years. Uh, buy an buy an actual knife. Usually, I just buy handle material and a bunch mm-hmm. of knife cases and ton of belts, and I'm usually out of out of money. So, good job, Frank, getting me to to buy a knife. The last knife I bought at the Badger Show was uh, Terry Nippenshield, one of his round le- round head leather knives, which I'm glad I bought it now because it's been almost impossible to buy a second one or a little bit different size. He, uh, he just finished a batch of 130 and they sold out in seven minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You knew him before he was cool. No, he he's, he's been big in the leather community and he doesn't even do the, like he would always hold knives back for the badger knife show. And, oh, that's uh, cool. uh, but yeah, he, he's not doing the, he's not doing the, he was at the, he was there. I didn't actually see him, but, uh, he didn't have a table this year and he said he probably isn't going to have a table there anymore. So, but yeah, super cool. Got to see, meet a lot of cool people and uh, got some, got some photos taken by our, with our guests. So, yep. Uh, next up we have the blade show. Uh, you can find me at table three double B and you can find Dan at booth five thirty seven, And uh, I will be, like I said, in the last podcast doing the decorative knife, Filework class on Saturday morning at Blade Show, eight thirty to nine thirty. 
It's $25. I really, really want to take that class, but I'm not sure I really, really, really want to be student ready at 830 in the morning. <laughs> like I'm, I'm deeply conflicted right now. I have to be in any chance you could just stop by Greenville on your way uh, back home. <laughs> Maybe if the price is right. Uh, it'd be a hell of a dinner. Uh, we'll see if I get that Kephart that I've been promised for uh, so many mm-hmm. times. Touche, <laughs> mon ami. <laughs> uh, and then uh, got two other things with the Midwest Knife Makers Guild. They have a hammer in August 19th to the 21st. Uh, keep your eye out for that. Usually they sell tickets through the USA Knife Maker website uh the hammer in is at the usa knife maker facility so you get to uh peruse all of their awesome stuff that's there i've never actually been there but jess hoffman's told me it's it's a pretty impressive facility the guys there have built it up really good and the twin cities knife show is uh being uh put on by the midwest knife makers guild and that's going to be september 30th to october 2nd They've already sold out all of the knife maker tables with wow. people it says here. I've got the the little thing they were handing out at the Badger show dedicated to showcase handcrafted knives of all all knives exhibited in the show are created and sold by the makers. So they are they were trying not to have any retailers and stuff of like uh, production knives. So uh, they wanted me to say that it's uh, walking distance to the Mall of America where the, the thing's going to be held. And it's not like in the downtown. So your spouse can go to the Mall of America and spend all the money they want. Mm. And you can go to the knife show and spend all the money you want. And everybody will be happy. Yeah, it's in Bloomington, Minnesota. I'm not up on my geography of Minnesota very much. but uh, And that's uh, September 30th to October 2nd. Uh, this is the first year it's being held. So uh, they're really trying to get the get the word out about it so if you guys can help share and let people know about it uh that'd be greatly appreciated by us and uh everybody in the guild uh i guess when we're talking about knife shows that far in advance i should throw in that uh, blade show west is going to be october 7th through the 8th at its new home in salt lake city Mm -hmm. um no more la restricted you bought it at the show but it's illegal issues okay um they found a new town that is way more knife friendly very cool yeah uh one of the guys that uh was on uh the hustle and grind podcast uh brigham kendall he actually lives i think he said in salt lake city or near salt lake city uh with a name like brigham you pretty much have to live in salt lake city (laughs) yeah so uh but yeah hopefully i can make it out there so we'll see you sh- I, I really hope you do. Um, last year's, I've gone a couple of years and it has been a really good show. Um, obviously not as big as East. They're still building it up. Mm-hmm. But on the maker side, it's been great because there's not as much, there's not as much distraction. Okay. So it gives you a chance to stand out. Okay. And the last couple of years, it's gotten me in front of entirely new markets. I know this is going to shock you. I know, I assure you, no one was more amazed than me, but I met people that had never heard of me <laughs> at the Blade Show West show. 
Um, so it was a great chance for me to get in front of them and and, and correct what was obviously missing in their lives. <laughs> um, and you too could do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I know people that live near me. They're like, who are you? <laughs> kind of a big deal. It's like uh, Larry and Thomas talking about my dad's world famous. They're like, who's that? <laughs> I mean, the pond is small, but I'm a huge. Fish. <laughs> yeah. So you got a, you said you had a book for us today. Yeah. Well, I was back and forth. I guess we'll do uh we'll do a book and a Dan's rants. As y'all probably know, I'm a huge Hemingway fan. If you listen to, to Dan's corner, enough you're going to get several Hemingway rep, uh, suggestions because pretty much all of them are amazing just varying degrees and different types of amazing he wrote he you wrote old man in the sea right that was Hemingway he did I really which is I really loved that book until my English teacher had us dissect it for like two weeks and it was like this book sucks <laughs> he like took all the joy you know out of what? reading it the really cool thing about that was Hemingway was um interviewed about is it a, is it a christ metaphor is is Santos christ what is and apparently he looked the interviewer dead in the eye and just said look sometimes a fish is just a fish yeah like it, it the story is exactly what i said it is no there's there's no deeper meaning it's it's not about christ it's about an old man who catches a big fish I wish I had had that interview when I was in in high school and <laughs> showed my English teacher. <laughs> All right. We're going to get sidetracked here. Um, but um, part of my family used to be, anyway, um, an author was over at one of my uncle's houses for dinner. And my cousin actually had an English assignment of doing a book review of one of that author's books. Hmm. And they got into the cups a little bit and decided it would be funny for the author to write a book report about his own book. Yeah. And his book report and his report was basically a guy got drunk and needed money and wrote a book. Mm -hmm. And the English teacher gave my cousin a D. So my aunt and uncle were really upset about this because who would know more about the book than the author? So they went in and were like, hey, look, the author of this book wrote this report. And the, the English teacher said, sometimes artists are not aware of the depths of their art. And oh, by the way, he gets an F for plagiarism. <laughs> or mis misrepresenting his work or whatever. Turning in somebody yep. else's work. Nice. That's funny. <laughs> so what, what's your Hemingway book there, Dan? Um. You know what? I, I'm trying to decide. Um, Coming at you live. <laughs> I know. Um, actually, I'm kind of stalling because I sometimes get the, the title of this one wrong. And I can't run over to my book, uh, my bookshelf real quick because I wasn't even going to do a, uh, a Dan's book corner. I was going to go straight into a, a Craig update. All right. So really... It turns out I can't stall and type into Google Google very well. All right, what's your what's your book there, Dan? Uh, it is The Garden of Eden by Ernest Hemingway. Uh, a lot of people think of Hemingway, you know, like we talked about um, the Old Man and the Sea, uh, a lot of his African adventures. 
this one takes a little different perspective. Um, it's kind of classic 1920s. Writer marries a very wealthy woman. They're on their honeymoon. They meet another woman. Stuff develops that I really wasn't expecting from Hemingway or his era, but it turns out she's been going on for a while. Like nothing's new. Um, so apart from Hemingway's style, which I really love, which is really efficient word usage, he really gets to the point, but he's efficient. Um, like there's a story about Hemingway writing. He and several authors were at the Brown Derby and the competition was who can write the shortest story. Okay. Loser had to pay for the bill. And Hemingway came up with, this was the story. Baby shoes for sale, never worn. Like, I love his efficiency. He can tell a full story, like, evoke deep meaning but he uses really efficient word use and yeah i don't read so good so less words is better but <laughs> he he tells a really deep involved story but it was not the kind of story that i was expecting from the era that hemingway was writing in okay um, and we'll talk about like the snows of kilimanjaro and some of the other great outdoors hunting very masculine stories that he wrote, but I'm going to recommend this one just as a, you weren't expecting that, but it's a really good book. Okay. Cool. Now we're going to do a Craig update. All right. How's he doing? Man, put down your tools, pull over to the side of the road. Did we talk about, uh, I can't remember last week. Did we talk about that? He lost his ability to speak. Yeah. He had a setback. Yeah. Uh, really. It, first of all, it, at first it was kind of terrifying because they thought he had had a relapse and he just shouldn't, that just shouldn't have happened. Turned out to be Bell's palsy, very treatable situation. But as of today, Craig went home. Awesome. Uh, they discharged him from physical therapy. He, uh, on his way home, he stopped by the cook station where his restaurant is and I, unfortunately, I wasn't there, but I talked to uh, his sous chef, and apparently uh, he's been gone for almost two months, comes back in a wheelchair. He comes in through the doors. First thing he does is roll back straight to the kitchen and starts looking over the kitchen. Nice. <laughs> um, but he is, um, he's, he's in a wheelchair, but he's independent. Uh, he's got a really high chance a full recovery, but it's still going to be a year, year and a half. Wow. But he is out of the hospital. He's back home, which is ahead of schedule and a huge step. Yeah. Um, and now that he's in a wheelchair, he'll be able to be at blade show. So he's going to be helping me at the booth at blade show, Thanks. which man, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited about. I, I thought I was going to be stuck at the booth all by myself. <laughs> Beth's not going to be there this year. She's going to be off with one of the kids. I mean, thank God. I mean, yeah, sure. It's great that, that he's in a wheelchair and out of bed and not 90% paralyzed. But the important <laughs> thing is he'll be able to be at Blade Show and help me. Nice. Um, and Cook Station um, helped. Uh, well, they had a fundraiser for him this weekend. And I want to thank y'all. 
Um, we've had a couple of the listeners that donated anonymous, anonymously, and I want to thank y'all. Um, Jess Hoffman, um, Blackbird Forge, Nick Nicholas, Kyle, you did a, a beautiful paring knife as well. Um, Joseph's Edge Tools, Joe D's, uh, Dogwood Custom Knives, just because I mentioned Kyle, so I got to mention me. <laughs> um, all donated knives for the raffle and, or not the what raffle, the silent auction. And we raised over $3,000 on just the knives. Nice. And I really, I, I want to thank our listeners. I've always known that this was a great community, but to see people step up and help out a genuinely good person that they've never met before. I, it, I, I really, I'm, I, I'm nearly speechless. I mean, I, I want to thank this community. I thank y'all. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh really cool seeing all the, the knives and stuff that got donated to There's some good photos you got in the, on the pod or on the Instagram page. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I, I started to feel something. I'm not comfortable with that. Um, I, I, I'm done with feelings. All right. You want to introduce our, our guest or you want me to, you know what? Let's see what you got. All right. You, you scheduled this guest. You, you, you stepped up. <laughs> let, 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 let's see what kind of chops you got. Take it away. So, uh, tonight we have Corey Martin. He's a, uh, does some fantastic knife photography and he also does some really super cool chainmail art and he also is now doing some knife making stuff too but we'll we'll save the the knife making stuff for when uh we have a another episode on with him and his dad so want to welcome Corey martin to the podcast how you doing hey Corey? good good to be here hey Corey. theoretically i mean hypothetically let's go with hypothetically i was looking for a chainmail bodice like like, uh, is that a thing? Is that possible? I mean, I know that wasn't in the script, but it, I mean, mostly what I make is just like small stuff, like keychains, and you know, uh, yeah, Kyle's holding up a, a sample of a keychain with some Kieranite glow in the dark material. Um, really, that kind of stemmed from just being at the Blade Show and seeing all of the, you know, the the kids with all the the dads walking around just looking to get something. Um, so those are you know anywhere from ten to twenty bucks maybe 30 bucks for you know, like a bracelet or something like that. Um, it's a lot easier to get, you know, 10 bucks out of a hundred people than, you know, try to get a big, big chunk of change out of one guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it just kind of stemmed from just wanting to, to give something back to the, you know, the kids and the moms and stuff like that. So, um, and it just kind of grew from there. Um, my wife and I went to a Renaissance fair and there was a guy selling a, a bracelet. Um, but we've got, we bought her a bracelet there and I was looking at it and I thought I could make this. And so I got some, went to Walmart, their like craft section and, and got some just cheap rings and uh, proceeded to just ruin them, you know, mm-hmm. and then I was still in yeah, got some got some books, uh, you know, some YouTube videos and just kind of went from there. So uh, I've been doing it ever since uh, about 10 years now. That keychain was badass. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, right now I'm, I'm actually working on like a, a, a gauntlet glove. I haven't really done anything as far as like clothing goes. Just that's, that's another level of crazy I haven't got to yet. So. A gauntlet is about the level of chainmail coverage I'm looking for. I mean, maybe okay. I should have said chainmail bikini. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I used to play a lot of nobody D&D wants to see that. I've got an image. Oh, it's not for me. <laughs> Doing some Princess Leia type stuff there. Hey, birds got to fly, fish got to <laughs> swim. Uh, you know, now that I, yeah, 
Beth's been pretty busy. I don't know if she's listened to an episode in a while, so I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah, it's it's been 24 years. What whatever I got to do. Try to spice <laughs> it up a little bit. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the, Peter actually said he sold a knife that uh, Corey did a bunch of chainmail. He actually wrapped the whole handle in chainmail and stuff. It was super cool. He, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, there was just in the handle alone. There was I think 986 rings or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then there was also an inlay in the sheath as well uh, that had like another 400 and something. Um, so when you when you held it in your hand, you were hanging on to actual chainmail rings, hand, like a, a full handle of, of rings. Yeah, those were like probably like eighth inch in diameter, three sixteenths in um, diameter. Or something like yeah, that. I had to I had to buy a bunch of different size rings to, to figure out the right because my dad made the handle and I had to wrap the existing handle. Okay. So I had to I had to kind of play with the, you know, the, the right size ring to get it to to wrap up tightly and not be be kind of loose. Mm-hmm. That'd um, be super grippy too. It, it actually was. It it felt not not as bad as you would think. Like it didn't really chew up your hand at all. Um, it was it was relatively comfortable. Um, and as far as I know, that's the only one in the the world that's ever been been made. So uh, we made that uh, I think twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. So it's, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and my dad actually he he just had it in his like personal drawer of knives for a while. Uh, he was getting ready for this for the the badger show, and he just happened to pull that one out and said, "Yeah, what the hell? I'll just I'll take it," you know. And he had it underneath the table, and there was a guy who kept coming by, and he just pulled it out and said, "Here, take a look at this." And instantly, the guy was like, "I want it. I'll take it." So it, he wasn't had he had no intention of selling it. It just happened to, to work out that way, and you know, it's been up on on his website for sale for years, and you know, really not that much interest in it. And then just the right guy came along and gone. Sometimes you just gotta, like you said, find the right guy. Yeah, yeah. If you think about it, if you uh, you could send us a picture of that, would love to have that as the the show picture for the, for yeah, the post sure. if you uh don't mind sure yeah so one of the first questions we like to start with all of our guests where'd you grow up cory uh, i grew up in um in waterford uh wisconsin it's uh just a small town i i live here uh currently um a little bit north of waterford it's called tishigan that's where my my parents live uh but it's unincorporated so you know they have a waterford mailing address um, okay yeah just born and raised here in, in southern wisconsin okay did you go to college or? Yeah, uh, I went to, I went to Gateway Tech College. Um, my, my kind of long-term plan was I wanted to be an engineer of some kind. Okay. Um, so my, my plan was to go to Milwaukee School of Engineering, but I went to Gateway Tech College. Pretty much all of those classes would transfer to MSOE. Um, and it was like a, a quarter of the cost. So like, why wouldn't I go there and then you know, go to MSOE? And, and I was, I was assigned up to go to MSOE and then I, I actually got a job um, in sales, um, for pretty much the same products that I was learning about, like, you know, the robotics type things, sensors and motors and gearboxes, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I took a sales job, um, kind of in between, and then I just never, never finished to go to a uh, MSOE. So okay. I just have a, a technical degree from, from gateway at this point. You know, okay. all the cool kids either were or want to be engineers. Yeah. It's proven. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, I, I saw the, you know, like Jurassic park, uh, Terminator. I wanted to be the guy who who you know made those robots, made those you know machines for movies and stuff like that. So that was kind of always my my dream as a kid. Speaking of Jurassic Park, I just saw a saw a thing that ruined a little bit of the Jurassic Park. Apparently, those uh, those mosquitoes that they had in the actual like movie, apparently they those don't suck dinosaur blood. They like. Uh, they're like a gnat, not not really like a mosquito. 
So I was a little, I was like, ah, but not that, not that the, the show was overall realistic anyway. Get your facts out of the way of my entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. There was a whole bunch of like, uh, Steven Spielberg, like hidden, hidden things in one of the Indiana Jones movies. There's actually a R2D2 and C3PO, like in the hieroglyphics, uh, in one of the scenes, different stuff like that. My favorite Indiana Jones is, uh, I think it was Temple of Doom, where the, the guy does all the complicated sword work in Indiana, just looks at him, pulls his pistol, and shoots him. Yeah. <laughs> Do you well, know that? In the script, there was supposed to be this really long fight, and Indiana was supposed to get a sword, and it was really complicated and long. And Harrison Ford was brutally hung over that morning and just ad libbed the shooting him. And Spielberg loved it so much that they kept it in the movie. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, I always thought that was so funny. The guy's like, and then he's like, boom. <laughs> that's why to this day, I may or may not own a Webley. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, Important <laughs> question. I'm jumping ahead. Kyle can come back because I mean, really, this is the question that everybody listens to this show for. Okay. How did you meet your wife? And where does it fall on the Kyle Dan scale? Yeah, so my uh, <clears throat> my wife and I met. Um, she was a, a a waitress at the the same restaurant that my sister was working at. So we we kind of met that way, um, and then we actually knew each other for for several years. Um, but uh, you know, like I would have a a girlfriend, she'd be single, or you know, vice versa. It just never really kind of worked out. Um, and then one day, I was actually heading up north uh, to go fishing uh, with my dad, and. Um, she just sent me a random text message said, Hey, do you want to hang out this weekend? Can't I'm heading up North. Um, and then just from there, it, it kind of just sparked. And then when, when I got back, then we you know, started hanging out and that kind of stuff. And I just kind of went from there. So uh, um, I don't think it's as crazy as your guys' stories, but uh, just um, hey, by any chance, just to, to flesh this out, is there, is there any chance that that restaurant was a, a strip club or a Hooters? No, it was a, um, <laughs> it was called uh, um, Omega. I think it was like a Greek, restaurant or something um, yeah. of it, but shit, Kyle no, nothing, is like, nothing crazy shit, Kyle's like three guests ahead of me all right we, man we gotta <laughs> gotta fight some crazy wholesome guest I need another shady guy or two to balance this out <laughs> nice uh so uh what was the first knife you remember having Corey um that I, that I had um you know, I, I never really ironically enough I never really owned many knives um my uh my dad actually just gave me like the first one that he ever gave me a couple years ago um it was one that we actually you know made together on uh, his cnc machine i I made some knives as a kid uh, when i was like you know 11 12 something like that but uh they were just relatively basic so i mean i I still have my first one um but i never really never really carried it you know never really uh did much with it other than just keep it in a in a drawer I, I never really owned like a Swiss army knife or nothing like that. Hmm. It's kind of boring in that sense, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go with another direction. What was the first <laughs> knife you photographed? Uh, that would be one of my dad's. Um, this is probably like 2002 or one or something like that, where he, uh, you know, he was using just like a 35 millimeter camera and he bought a, a digital camera. And I remember it was a thousand bucks and it was a one megapixel camera. And at the time, that was, you know, that was, that a, was big a big deal. That was a big purchase, a big deal. Yeah. 
Um, and he was taking photos with it and it was, they were garbage. You know, I was, I was like a 17 year old kid, you know, looking at it going, dad, these pictures are, are crap. Let me, let me jump in there. Um, I don't remember the knife, but I remember the camera. <laughs> um, then, yeah. So then it was just like, I, I took a few and it was okay. And I was like, all right, give me some more, give me some more that I can photograph. And, um, at the time the, uh, you know, like Napster, uh, I think was, was no longer in, in service, but like BearShare, LimeWire, those kind of file sharing programs. I, I downloaded a copy of uh, Photoshop and I did some kind of crude, you know, basic kind of blending and, you know, multi-view stuff back then, just kind of playing around just to, just to show up my dad that, you know, I can, I can do it better. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah, that was, that was a long, long time ago. And then from after that, then he got a, a five megapixel camera a couple of years later. So that was a, you know, we just kind of kept progressing from there, but yeah, that, that first camera, I remember a thousand bucks, one megapixel, which by today, I mean, your, your cell phone has got you know, 10 times better camera than that even. So, but that was the, that, it was, yeah, it was, it was a big deal. Cause you didn't have to go to the, the Fox Photoshop and drop off your right. film and come back and get it a week later. <clears throat> right. Do you remember what all you, what? all you non-cursive writing, no stick shift driving individuals don't understand what the, the, the film drop off Fox photo booth was like. I remember. Uh, we actually had uh, in the in the archive of test equipment that we had at Navistar, uh, they they had an old digital camera that actually saved on a three and a half inch floppy. You actually <laughs> push the floppy in there. I, I I thought that just blew my mind. I don't know. I don't remember how many megapixel or whatever that was, but yeah. Oh, that was that was that was stored in bytes. <laughs> it was stored <laughs> pixel by pixel. Like a like a like a Super Mario <laughs> picture. It was that forty eight bit or eight bit. Don't knock that man. That was my childhood. Yeah, I played Nintendo for a long time. Oh, uh, hey, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and raise the the stakes a little bit. I played Atari. Yeah, I sixty four hundred baby. I I bugged my parents enough that they uh, my dad got a NES um, when I was real little. So. I had that for the longest time. I still actually have it still. We pulled it out and had the kids playing it the other day. They're not, not quite mature enough to, to share between, uh, between goes, but well, they're also male and children. <laughs> like they, they, they're predisposed to hit each other with rocks. So <laughs> yeah. Or their feet or uh, their, their big thing is like trying to like, greco suplex each other all the time now it's like stop lifting your brother up <laughs> um i'm sorry what style of wrestling did you excel at <laughs> yeah so um core inspiration yeah where do you where do you kind of draw some of your uh photographic inspiration we talked about it a little bit at the the badger show and before but uh for the listeners how what were some of the people that you were kind of as you were starting your photography and stuff, modeling your stuff after. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, there's um, obviously the, you know, the, the giant of the industry uh, would, I would say would be Jim Cooper or sharp by coop as his kind of trade name. And then also uh, Eric Egley from, from point seven studios. I mean, he always did a amazing job. Um, and then more recently here, you know, uh, Caleb Royer has kind of come on the scene too uh, with his uh, unique style. And, and early on, I, I was kind of all over the map trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I used a lot of um, like background stuff, like you know, twigs and pieces of bark and like nature type things. And I, I, I thought I had to kind of fill in and clutter the, the photo. Um, and then the more I saw from, you know, like 
Coop or or Eric. It was just relatively plain, and it was the knife was doing all of the talking. So um, I, I kind of changed gears a little bit and, and really tried to focus more on that. And then you know I didn't I didn't I didn't really want to copy anyone's style, but when you think about it, there's really only so many ways you can photograph a knife. Um, so you know, you, there's only so many different ways you can you know angle it or you know get a detailed shot. So you know, really the you know the the coupe style is is what I tried to to kind of focus on, um, but still also making my own a little bit. Kyle and I completely understand. I didn't copy it, but I was inspired by. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. There's even less angles and stuff you can do taking a photo of the knife than knife styles. Like yeah. we've talked that yeah. almost every knife uh, shape is fairly used in some realm or another. Yeah, uh, those are some some good people to model model stuff off of, and I love. Uh, I got a couple knives uh, photographed from you at the show, and they turned out great. And so let's get into some of the some of what what are what's some of the basic stuff that people would want to uh, to have for for taking photos. Well, the and I mean, the most important thing is lighting. Um, the, you know, everyone thinks that it's the camera. Um, I know that, uh, like Eric Egley, for example, I think he has, I want to say it's like an 80 megapixel camera. The last time I looked, it was, you know, upwards of $40,000 for the camera. Wow. That's, that's only, that's great if you're doing, you know, big, huge stuff. Like if you're photographing a car or like a landscape or a a building or something like that, where you need to have a huge camera when you're focusing on a small knife that it's kind of overkill, but that's what he has for his, you know, particular line of work. He's a professional photographer. Um, outside of knife stuff and then you look at um like what you know caleb has or what what jim has you know it's in that anywhere from 15 to 30 megapixels um but even something like your cell phone that's got a you know an 8 or a 10 megapixel is fine it's just the lighting the lighting is the most important thing the the camera only photographs what you put in front of it it doesn't care what the object is it needs to have enough light otherwise if the if the image is too dark most cameras will try to essentially guess at what's there so you'll see some of that kind of pixeling or a little little grainy look where it's not quite you know the contrast isn't there um so you really want to give the camera the best possible starting photograph um you know situation with the the lighting um so just uh you know good lighting but with that being said if you have too bright of lights now you're going to get you know big shiny spots or bright spots on the knife knives are, are a real pain in the ass to photograph because there's so many different surfaces there's curves there's flats there's different colors, there's matte finish, there's polish. It's a nightmare. I mean, there's it's every possible type of you know, surface. Um, so you need to have the light diffused in some way, um, whether it be with like a, just a, a you know, store-bought light tent. Uh, mine is, is um, I made mine, you know, from, from scratch, uh, just with some PVC, you know, tubing and some Velcro, and it all pieces together and breaks apart. Um, so I can, you know, transport it to and from shows. Um, and, and it's really just the diffusing of that light that really gives you the best possible, you know, photo. Um, and then just some, you know, relatively plain backgrounds you can get from like a hobby store, you know, just some construction paper, even, um, the, the backgrounds that I use, I bought uh, wallpaper sample books from eBay okay. and you have to kind of page through them. You know, there's a lot of like floral stuff and, you know, stuff you don't really want, but you know, a lot of the kind of like marbles or stones or you know, that kind of faux pattern, whatever they call it. Um, you just cut them out of the book and then that's, that's what I use for the backgrounds. Huh. I bought probably, I don't know, 15 books from, from eBay, you know, taking a couple hundred backgrounds out of you know, the thousands that were there, you kind of piece through and, and you know, pick the ones you want. 
so then yeah so you get you got a, a nice background diffused lights a decent camera and then you just have to you know start snapping pictures and you can play with the the angles the different positions of the knife that kind of thing it's just a lot of trial and error um and that's really the the part that you have to kind of you know put that work into to figure out what works best yeah um and every nice you know every knife is different you kind of have to play with it a little bit but um and, you know generally speaking you have to kind of piece it all together so that it, it works with that knife yeah um before we get too much deeper into and i definitely want to dive into what we need and and how to take better photos but the why man especially in back in the days of the forums good photos soldier knife mm-hmm. uh now that we're selling on we're not so much selling on forums as we used to but it's especially especially the guys that aren't at shows, the vast majority of your sales are going to come off of social media and websites. Yeah. And quality photos will make a huge difference. Agreed. So the, the why you need good photos is really comes down to, do you want to sell your stuff? Yeah. If you think about like how you, like if you scroll through Instagram, most of the time you're not spending more than a second or two on on everything. You're just kind of flipping through it quickly you maybe see a, a cool car or a cool knife or whatever that you use, then you might give it five seconds and then just keep moving on. If your if your photo is just kind of a blah photo, it might just get completely missed. If you've got something that pops on the background and you've got multi views, I can see the entire knife, the front, the back, the spine, the belly, whatever it is. I can see that whole knife in a couple seconds. And then that's when people go, wow, look at that. And now then maybe you have their interest. Maybe they send you a message. Hey, what's the, the deal with this knife? Is it for sale? But you know, you only really have a real brief amount of time with with the Instagrams and the Facebook, you know, uh, scrolling style that people do. So that that better photo is really going to help in that sense. And you you kind of gave us a, a it was almost a fire hose drink on all the different things that we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we wind it back and just kind of let's piece by piece, like sure. camera. I mean, there's there's the high end. There's some of the the high end digital. On the other end, most of these, a lot of people that are just starting out as makers are going to be shooting with a phone. Yep. Could you give us an idea of what to look for? Like, if you want to get serious about taking really quality photos, what's some of the high-end stuff you should be looking at? And then... Or even intermediate. Yeah. What's some intermediate? And then if you're just doing the best you can with what you got, like phones, what are some things to look for? So the, the, the way that, um, if you kind of think about it in terms of the megapixels, it's, it's literally how many pixels across and, you know, horizontally and vertically in a, in a grid pattern. So the more pixels you have, if you're, if you're only going to be, let's say you're printing an eight by 10 photo, if I've got 1 million pixels versus 15 million pixels, that 15 is going to be way sharper and clearer than the 1 you know, million pixels. So, but that only, that's a certain, you can't, you can only go so far with that. You don't, if you have a hundred megapixels, it's not, not going to make a difference. You know, so anything in that 10 to 20 megapixels is going to give you a, a decent photo, especially for doing website stuff and that kind of thing. That's going to give you smooth lines. Smooth and lines. Yep. Looking. Yep. Nice, nice, crisp, uh, you know, clear stuff. Um, if you have a, a DSLR camera, which is not a point and shoot, like what you'd see from, you know, like your mom taking photos at the birthday party or whatever, that's not going to typically be what you'd want to use. Um, that those have built-in flashes. You can disable a flash. You know, I, I have separate lighting, separate strobes that, that act as my flash. 
if you have a built-in flash in your camera and you try to take a photo of a knife, inevitably you're going to get some kind of a bright spot, shiny spot. So it's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. So you get a, a DSLR camera, like I have a, a Canon. You know, there's a lot, of, there's Nikon, there's Sony, there's a lot of different options you can get for that. And then the lens too is, is something you want to pay attention to. If you get a, a telephoto lens, which is where you can zoom in and out, those tend to have a kind of a center zone that are sharp. The edges will be typically a little bit fuzzy um, as far as like the detail, the crispness goes. So you always want to try to keep it in that center uh, view. Just the way that those lenses work, they have, there's an ability to go zoom in or zoom out. They can't be sharp across the entire picture. So they have kind of a center center zone. Um, I use macro lenses, which is a fixed distance, um, either a 50 millimeter or a hundred millimeter. So that my focal point is at a very specific spot that allows the entire frame of the photo to be sharper than, than you would with one that you can zoom in and out. So, well, part of me says, if I'm Joe Schmo, don't bother trying to buy one of the high-end cameras, right. build your skill set before you spend that much yep. money. Correct. So maybe we should start with like some of the midline cameras. What should you, what should you be looking for? Like, I know megapixels are an issue, yep. but it can also be lenses. It can be quality of electronics. Yeah, I mean, you can you can get a, a nice kit from, you know, Best Buy or, you know, any type of, a, you know, electronics place like that where it'll be a decent enough camera. And for something in that, you know, 500 bucks to a thousand bucks, you can get a pretty, pretty solid setup. Um, and really, once you get into the, the higher end stuff, I mean, you're really only paying for the megapixels. They all have, you know, the same type of, it's called ISO, which is how much light it allows, you know, in, in the photo. Um, there's some that have auto features, some that are manual. You know, it really just depends on, on how much you're looking to spend. But for, you know, 500 bucks, you can get a, a decent enough camera um, with a with one of those telephoto lenses that, you know, you can zoom in and out. You, you can make it work with that. That would be a good starting point. Like, like the the camera that I that I have, I bought just the body. It was it was almost 2000 uh, bucks. The lens was 1500 for one of them. Uh, the other one was, I think, uh, twelve hundred. So, I mean, I've got I've got thousands and thousands into it, but it's very specific for doing just knife photos. My grinder is way more than the guy that just started. Right. Yep. Yeah. Your belts and stuff too. Yeah. Sure. It's all relative. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's all it's a linear scale. I I started out with buying um, it was a Canon uh, Rebel uh, T1, which I think was like nine hundred bucks. It had a lens, you know, it came with a little carrying bag, you know, all the software and everything. That, that was a good starting point. I had that camera for years, you know, and, and it worked, worked just fine. And there was no issues. Um, and then I've, I've upgraded, you know, over the years. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, for, you know, 500 to a thousand bucks, you can get a, a pretty solid setup for taking night photos. So um, on the other end, I mean, there's some of us that are, I mean, we're still trying to figure out how to pay for the grinder, much less quality uh, cameras yeah um if you're if you're looking at having to shoot with your phone what Mm -hmm. what should you be looking for from a camera phone um well most most camera phones are are pretty much the same um you know like uh, all the iphone stuff i mean they're you know in that 12 to 15 megapixels but the thing with the with the phone cameras is that they have a built-in software for any type of lighting situation. They want to always adjust for the best lighting. 
Um, so they're a little bit more tricky. That's where your lighting kind of plays a little bit, bit more of a kind of an important role. The, the camera itself will try to auto adjust and take the best photo that it can with you doing the least amount of work, yeah. uh, which is great. You know, you just have to pretty much set it up and you, you just basically touch the screen to focus on where you want it to focus and snap the picture and go. You know, so it's relatively simple with phones. Great for birthday parties may not be the best for trying to shoot knives. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done it where, you know, I've set up the knives in my, my photo tent. Like, I'm going to take it with my, you know, my, my big camera. And then just I've snapped a quick photo with my, my phone. Um, and they turn out great. I mean, there's no issues with them. Speaking of lighting, I mean, I've had some guys come in and shoot some of my knives for me. And they're using reflectors and they're using yep. LEDs. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on with lighting. Arguably, that is photography, yep. is capturing the light. And again, I mean, let's, you're an artist, let's touch on what everybody would love to have. So, you know, what's the, the dream lighting and then what's the sure. practical for the guy in his basement lighting and then what's the bare minimum? So the, the, the bare minimum would be just like a desk lamp uh, with a, a specific really? color light bulb. So, you know, depending on your house, you may have kind of a more yellowish, you know, color light bulb. You may have a more of a whiter color. It, it's the the temperature, the Kelvin scale is what you're after with the those light bulbs. Um, the incandescent will be more yellow. Incandescent is very will yellow. Be more blue. Yep. Yeah. So the incandescent stuff, I, I believe, is in that kind of thirty five thousand or thirty five hundred to forty five hundred range. Um, regular daylight is the fifty five hundred K. That's what I would recommend because that's going to give you the more kind of white, you know, natural type lighting. LED lighting is kind of hit or miss. Some of them are, are more blue. Some of them are a little bit more yellow. Some are more like over white, like 6,500. So you kind of have to pay attention to the, the color, uh, you know, scale of LEDs. Problem with, with LEDs though, is that they are, unless you have like a, one of those big panels, like a bank of them, LEDs are very bright for their size. So you might get kind of a spotlight effect going on. Uh, uh, if you just have like a desk lamp, you know, that's, that's aimed behind your, even like a bed sheet or something for your diffuser. That would, that's going to give you a nice kind of broad, you know, diffused light for your, your photos. Mm. I use strobes. So I have a 600 watt and a 300 watt. Uh, the 600 being my, my main light. And then the 300 I have off to the side to, you know, have like as a kind of a fill light to work with the mirrors that, re, that reflect it back. Um, so, so typically I have the, the light. Like if I'm looking at the, the knife in the photo, I got the tip on the kind of lower left, the handle in the upper right. So it's at that kind of an angle. My main light will be, back to the left. So it's, it's shooting from that angle down towards the, the spine of the knife. My, my 300 watt, the fill light is off to the right. And I'm using mirrors that are facing the knife, from, you know, from me facing the knife forward to reflect the light back, you know, towards the underside of it. So mm -hmm. there's kind of a lot going on and it, it's all instantaneous. So as soon as I hit the, you know, the, the picture, obviously the, um, the flash goes, it reflects the light back in. I can adjust where the position of the lighting is, you know, to, to give me the right shadows or I can raise them up. I can move them to the side. I can make them brighter, dimmer, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of variables, um, but that lighting is really, you know, the, the key part of it. Um, if you have a cell phone, that's where your desk lamps would come into play because you want the lights on all the time constantly. Um, with my flash, I just have a small modeling light. And then as soon as I hit the button, then, then the main flash goes. Um, mm -hmm. So there's it's really just multiple ways to go about it. But it's, the color temperature is, is kind of the key thing there. Uh, you want that sort of whitish light if you can. And in a minute, we can talk about diffusers and light boxes mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. 
Um, but before we dive too deeply into that, stability is, from what I understand, pretty important too. So I, I assume a tripod would be, if not necessary, certainly a good idea. Um, I, I don't use a tripod because I have the ability on my camera to adjust the shutter speed, which is how quickly the, the camera is actually moving. It, it flips the mirror to take the photo. Um, and it's, it's one 160th of a second. So it's, it's pretty quick. So even if I'm kind of a little bit shaky, you know, if my hand's shaking around, I'm standing at kind of a goofy angle and my arm is twitching or whatever, it happens so quick that it doesn't really matter. The only time that I ever use a tripod is if I'm, if I'm taking a, a picture of Pearl, any kind of a Pearl or like an abalone, something like that. Pearl is, is a real, real pain to photograph because there's no way to, to capture the, you have, you have to kind of move it 3D to really see it. Yeah. Um, so I take one that's, I take a photo that's real dark and then I brighten it up and take another one so that the rest of the knife is bright. And I, I use Photoshop to cut out the dark pearl photo and, and basically kind of blend it in with the one that's brighter. So in that sense, I use a tripod because I need it to be exactly the same. Otherwise, I, I you'll never get it the same if you're holding it by hand. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, uh, you can put it on a tripod, set the timer for like two or 10 seconds, whatever. And, and hit go, that's probably going to be, you know, give you the best um, option if you have a, you know, if you're using a, like a cell phone even, you know, so there's not any shaking going on. Um, it, it's, it's a good, a good thing to, to use. Um, but, but I just found that, uh, you know, with the, the way that I set up the photos, I, I would rather just hold it by hand because I can move my body and leave the knife stationary versus having to reposition it on the little putty that I use to raise it up. You know, if it's, if I'm using a tripod, so just depending on your style, you can either use it or not use it. All right. Good to know. Cause you can, you can dive kind of deep on some of those tripods and that kind of thing. Yeah. There, you can spend hundreds. So of it sounds like you're better off just using yourself. Yeah. Well, being able like holding, like when I watched you take some photos of my knife, I noticed you held kind of your elbows in to help yep. stabilize everything. So kind of like locking it in, like we do on yep. knives for grinding and stuff. So exactly. It's just technique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really, really thought was cool was the, the modeling, non-drying modeling clay. Yep. That you're able to kind of pinch together and make like a square and be able to adjust that up and down. I had been using like a piece of leather to kind of tilt the, the handle underneath there and that modeling clay would work a ton better. Yeah. And that actually, I, I discovered that when I was reading, uh, Jim Cooper, um, he has a, a post on the, um, I think the blade forms and, and he, you know, goes back years and years and years. And I might be the only guy who's literally read every single post, you know, in that entire thing, there's like <laughs> 60 pages or whatever. I've, I've read, you know, all the way through it. And, and yeah, early on, he discovered that, that putty stuff. Um, and that was a game changer as far as shadowing, you know, it, it makes it much more dramatic and raises the knife up. And you can also, I, I put a taller piece of putty on the back side of the knife than I do the, the blade tip. So I'm actually angling the knife more in line in, in a parallel line with how my, you know, my lens is. Um, otherwise, if you, if you're kind of standing there because you can't stand directly over the knife, the blade would be sharp and the, the handle would be a little bit blurry. Well, you okay. use that putty to raise it up and now it kind of brings it more into focus. So it, it's really, really beneficial on a lot of levels, you know, and it doesn't, doesn't do anything to the, to the steel or the woods or the, you know, pearls it doesn't do anything. Um, I've had the same putty for probably 10 years now and it just, you just keep mushing it around and it keeps working. Yeah, I've also used um, I'll use a sandbag and drape a piece of fabric over it. Sure, that works too. Yeah, because I can kind of mold that sandbag into to take whatever angle I need. Yep. 
the modeling clay i got a block of it on amazon it was like 11 dollars for a pound and yeah, a pound cheap. is like like the size of a brick <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, uh only need just a little bit i thought about using some play-doh but uh i got it dries gobs, out i got gobs of that around <laughs> well play-doh dries out and it's got salt in it okay yeah i guess i guess it does have some salt in there from the but yeah have you had any issue with like leds some people say they flicker the bulbs and stuff for the backlighting or um yeah i mean some of the the way that that they work with your especially if you're using a cell phone uh because of the like the frequency that the the screen updates on your cell phone might play differently with the led lighting you might get a little bit of that kind of kind of pulsing or, or flickering going um I, I like i said i really haven't used much leds i'm using the the strobes okay I, I have i have tried to use a like an led bar you know uh panel whatever you want to call it and i just didn't really like the the color of it uh compared to the flashes i got so i, I didn't really pursue it further but, but yeah, I, I have heard that yeah especially with cell phones that you might get a little kind of flickering going on yeah one of the things that i've seen some people use for the cell phone is they actually have apps that allow you to like put your phone in like a manual type mode and adjust stuff so that uh if you are editing later on so i know that's that's one of the things that when i was taking taking some photography class stuff when i first got my dslr there was a lot of people saying that you should shoot in manual mode because when you're when you're editing you can apply all those settings to everything and when it's on auto you don't the camera adjusts the iso and all the things uh so you can't just like apply universal settings to everything you have to do each one individually yeah if you're going to be doing a lot of editing um i would recommend a camera that shoots in a it's called raw format r-a-w that that allows you to literally adjust everything everything possible so you know the the file size of a of a standard photo might be let's say you know uh, ten me- megabytes. The raw would be like forty or fifty megabytes. Yeah. So it's it's a, a a lot bigger file, but it gives you way more control over it. it. It that that comes into play, especially like when I'm doing like the multi view stuff, where I've got you know three different views I'm trying to blend together. The coloration might be slightly different on them because I'm I'm angled differently, or I had to brighten a light or dim another one or whatever. And that that raw format allows you to to really dial them in exactly. And you can, with the, the, the Canon software, I can, I can essentially create like a, a Kyle Daly filter. And that's all of the various settings for color, contrast, shadows, everything. I could save that, load up to the next view, load that, you know, those same parameters in, make a minor, a tweak or two, and then I can, you know, go from there. So um, it really gives you a lot more control. It's a little bit more, you know, kind of tedious up front, but the end result is, is far better, uh, I would say. So, so you said that's a Canon uh software thing yeah yep so so canon um you know you can adjust it on on that and then when i when i import it into to photoshop um that's when it allows you to do the you know the raw editing and stuff like that but but it comes from the the canon software uh that it's tied in huh interesting Um, we've we've talked a lot about lighting and we've mentioned lightbox a couple of times yep can we touch on what a light box is and what some of your options are? I know there's sure. some some prefab stand-ups. It can get very involved. You can use diffuser panels. Yeah, so I, I originally I bought I bought something off of Amazon or, or eBay, whatever. It was uh, it, it's kind of like a fold-up box. 
you know, it's got, uh, I think it was 24, it was like a 24 inch square cube when it was all said and done. Uh, so you've kind of fold these panels out, you Velcro's together and it's a, a small little light box. The issue with that though, is that a lot of them in, in the reflection of the blades and stuff like that, you can typically see the corners of that light box. Uh, so I was seeing across the blade, I would see this gray line from the wire in, inside this, you know, light box from, from eBay or whatever. So and a light box is generally a, a five-sided structure to diffuse that, the light. Yep. Yeah. It'll, that, smooth, that smooths out the light from every angle. Yeah. It'll have some kind of a, like a canvas material or some kind of like a plastic film and it just, it diffuses the light. So you don't see the, the full brightness of whatever light you're using. Um, it just scatters that light across the, the knife photo or, or the knife so that in the photo, you, you get kind of a more general kind of equalized lighting. Rather than getting the reflection of the one light bulb in the ceiling. Exactly. You get, yep. You get smoothed out light. Yeah. So, so I went on to, to eBay and there's a, it's called a scrim gym. That's the, the name brand of the, this diffuser material. Um, and it's, it's what they use in, in like the, the fashion industry and that kind of stuff where it's uh, got this sort of like a Velcro border. There's a framework that you can attach it to. And then one or two people will stand there and hold this thing up in front of the lighting in front of the model. And, you know, it diffuses the light. I, I bought it specifically for the Velcro edges. Um, and I built a, a PVC frame of, of my own design. And then I just literally put Velcro around it periodically. And then I, I can assemble and disassemble this whole thing. And, and the way that it works is my, my diffuser actually wraps around twice. So it's like a double layer of this diffusion uh, material, which is just like a, it's like a canvas, I guess you would call it, um, a plasticky kind of canvas. Um, so I'm, I'm getting kind of a double diffused light because I have, you know, the high powered strobes. Um, I found that with that, just that the single layer that, you know, those, those, uh, I guess, store-bought light boxes, it just wasn't enough diffusion and I was still getting the bright spots. So then I'd have to turn the lights way down and then the photos didn't come out right. And it was kind of this game of cat and mouse. Uh, so now I got that double diffusion and I can crank the lighting up and still have it be nice and, and, you know, scattered and I'm not, I'm not getting any hot spots on it. Um, that was the most expensive part was that, that scrim gym material. And it's, I think it's like six foot by three foot. So when you fold it in half, it's like a three foot, you know, square. Um, yeah. and that was like 80 bucks. And then the frame frame stuff from, from Menards, you know, the PVC, whatever, that was just another you know, 20, 30 bucks. And so for basically a hundred bucks, I built myself this, you know, nice, uh, you know, photo tent that I can disassemble and reassemble at any, any show I go to. But you can spend anywhere from 20 bucks to, you know, a hundred if you want to, on, on a light box. And, Anything is going to be better than nothing. You can make your own. You can take like a bed sheet, a white bed sheet. You can drape that over some kind of a, a framework or something if you want. Some PVC um, pipe. PVC, yeah, yeah whatever. Um, it's just the, the key is you have to, it has to be, it has to be tight. It has to be taut. So you can't, you don't want any like wrinkles in it because then they will reflect on the blade. You, know, you will, you will see those. I've seen some where they use like the diffuser panels for um, like the, industrial lighting fixtures that have yep. the the four by two plastic textured yep. panels that'll work too yeah like the ceiling like drop ceiling stuff yeah, yeah like the exactly you just need something it's, it's got to just diffuse the the light in some way and no. you can play around with stuff you know that that might not be something that you know if, if you could set that up like uh you know behind some kind of a stand or whatever that would be fine um it's just that for me, the, the mobility part of it was, was key. I had to try to come up with something I could tear down and, and put back together. Just as long as you diffuse the light, you're, you're good. Um, and now do you need to, 
to add like lights around that to help smooth it out or, or will a good light box like you know if, if you've got two can lights in the ceiling mm-hmm. where you need to add some light around that or can can you just use a light box and that's kind of a a poor man's yeah i mean if, if you're using you know like if you're if you're relying on the the lighting in your ceiling for instance you know whatever the distance away from the you know the light box it is if it's you know three four feet you know it's still something that it's you're only dealing with with however with however close it is so my lights are, are right behind the photo tent they're a foot away um and if i need to move them in or out i can so i have some adjustability um if you're let's say you're using just like your cell phone and you know you got it set up in your room and you got some can lights in the ceiling you can adjust the brightness on your phone but again if All you're right. having to raise the brightness on your phone now that you're making the phone guess at the the lighting so if it doesn't have enough bright enough light it's going to just assume that oh this needs to be a grayish color or blue color pixel and it mm. fills in what it thinks it needs to be so you might get some graining going on kind of a grainy effect um whereas if you have like a desk lamp or something that's that's closer or even two desk lamps one on the left one on the right you know you can kind of adjust them turn one away a little bit so it's not as bright turn the other one closer so it is brighter gives you some more adjustability you know uh, and we generally will you want that those desk lamps so that the knife so that the knife is between the camera and the lamp or would you want them like you know, so 90 if, degrees off if i'm standing if i'm standing directly in front of my photo tent i got the knife in front of me if you imagine kind of the the letter y so between me and the knife is the straight line and then kind of off yep. to the sides the the two corners oh, okay. that's where your your lights would be there behind it um, oh, okay you want the shadows kind of towards you you know the lighting is, is from, coming from behind and then the, the shadows are, are shooting, you know, towards you. Um, and that's, and then I would use the mirrors to reflect the light back in, because if you have very bright lighting behind it, the, the belly of the knife would be, be in shadow, be real dark. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a relatively subtle thing. You know, if, if you have a mirror that reflects it back in, it's not going to be like another light source. It's just going to give a little bit of light to a little bit of detail. Um, it's a, it's a subtle thing, but it, it does make a difference um, for the overall picture, you know, for showing the detail. Well, and this kind of brings us into to reflectors to use. Yep. Uh, when you say a mirror, you're not talking about like a literal bathroom mirror. You're talking about like it might be gold or white or silver. Yeah, you or... can you can use uh, like a poster piece of poster board. I use a I have a few different things. So I I went to um, you know Hobby Lobby when I bought my little modeling putty. They also have some little three three inch by three inch square mirrors, like a literal actual mirror. I bought two of them, and then just some. They have like a balsa wood type kit where it's just got like a backing you know it's like a maybe eighth inch thick piece of wood and i just super glued them to that added a little like a jewelry box hinge to the bottom part so i have this this mirror that i can actually hinge forward or back to to angle it um and then if you buy a piece of poster board where it's already you can kind of fold it in the middle like a trifold type poster board you can use that as the same thing where you can angle it in or out and and adjust the lighting uh, that you reflect back into it so whether if I need a real bright, actual shiny, shiny light coming back in, I'll use the mirrors. If I want something more kind of kind of matte or diffused, I'll just use that poster board. If you use anything that's got a color to it, like a gold foil, it's going to reflect a gold color back to the knife. So you, you'd want to go with something you can use like tin foil, aluminum foil. You know, that's just a nice silver light. It's going to reflect whatever, you know, the color of your lighting is. You can you can just put some of that on some cardboard or something and, you know, that'll work just fine. But yeah, just typically, I would say like a, a white piece of poster board would be best um, or some, like an actual mirror, you know. So 
but but I have them. It's, it's got to have a, a hinge ability so that you can angle it in or out to kind of give you some some variables there. Especially if you're a one man shop, you need for it to stand up by itself. Correct. Right. Yep. Yeah. If I remember correctly, some of your stuff looked like it was like that foam core board where it had yeah. the foam with the poster board on either side. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Yep. So, yeah, the those super super cool. I, I that blew me away when I was uh, seeing some of that. I was like, I just watching watching you do it was uh, really helpful for me. <laughs> Dan's dog. Uh, what are some good color combos uh, for knives? General, like if you have, let's say, like a green handle. What are are there any kind of rules of thumb people should look for? Um, well, yeah, I mean, so that so that's the way that I I take a knife photo is I first will just hold the knife. I'll just look at the knife um, to kind of get a feel of you know if it's got a Damascus blade or like yours had file work on the spine. So you kind of get a feel of like what do you want to show? Mm-hmm. What am I what am I trying to show on this thing? Um, and then yeah, so then then the next thing is okay, I got I got how I want to lay it out. I got the views I want to show, and then now the the background choices. And if you remember seeing all my background. Um, things that I had, I got probably 200 of them. Um, that, that's one of the most time consuming things because very rarely do you have a knife that's, that's just like black and silver. They all have like, you know, red handle and then a, you know, silver blades and some blue liners. And there's a whole mix of colors. So it's, it's trying to find the right background that, that works with the knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and my general rule of thumb is that the, the busier the knife, the plainer the background. Okay. So if you've got a knife that's got engraving and, you know, file work and, and all kinds of stuff going on. You don't want a background that's got a lot of, you know, texture or anything like that. You want the knife to stand out. Um, I, I can, I mean, as far as the general kind of color combination goes, I, I try to stay in the kind of the earthy tones, the, you know, the, the grays, the light tans. Um, I, I do a little bit of like green and, and red and blue if, if the knife calls for it. But, but most of the time it's going to be in that kind of grayish, brownish color. And it's it's really just a matter of I hold the knife over the background and I've done so many of them now that I can kind of instantly know like that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And then I might find one or two that will work and then I'll put them under, underneath the photo tent, put the knife on it. I'll snap a picture usually just to kind of get a quick feel of it. And it's like, no, nope, that's not going to work. Grab the next one and then boom, there it is. That's the one that's going to work. So it's it might be some trial and error. That's where having hundreds of them really can be beneficial in that sense. But if you if you have if you look at you know some of the stuff on Instagram you'll see this knife and it's like in the woods somewhere and it's got kind of lost in the in the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, versus if you look at you know like my stuff or or Coops or or Caleb Broyers, it, it's a relatively kind of simpler background usually, and the knife really just stands out on its own. You know, um, and, it can be a challenge to pick the right background. Yeah, and typically you want to use kind of a a duller background so you don't get a lot of reflection off of it or is that correct yeah and that's that's those those wallpaper sample books that i got are fantastic for that because they all have kind of a matte finish to them i I, i've loved the patterns of some of those the shinier ones but as soon as you take a photo with it it it's like on this white washed out you know because it reflects too much and it's like yeah that's not gonna work but the but the background was awesome but you know it just it was too shiny um just simple construction paper you know from walmart or whatever um, there's a, a million colors. It's a dull enough finish. It's not, not a lot of crazy texture going on. Um, my, my early photos, I used, um, like placemats for like a kitchen table, you know, uh, there's all different patterns and stuff like that. You can get with those too. I, I bought a bunch of those. Um, I've, I've kind of run through the, you know, the gamut of, of all the different possibilities. 
Um, and then really those, those wallpaper sample books is, is kind of what I settled on. So, yeah, I've, uh, I've heard that old denim, when you're working on the cheap old denim yep. and old t-shirts I've used. Yep. Leather yep. works well. Yep. Especially the suede side. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, um, like like my dad, for instance, he's got a kind of a basic photo tent setup. I gave him a, a you know a bunch of backgrounds. He's got maybe ten or twelve, and and it it's like these will work for most of the you know photos that you are taking. Yeah, and that's really all you need. I mean, if you're just putting stuff up on on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, just make sure that it's a nice you know decent photo that you're not losing the knife in the background, and it, it should be fine. You want the you know you're, you're photographing the knife, not the background. So you want the knife to stand out and, and the knife to look good. You talked a little bit about an outdoor shot. Um, what are some of the things that you need if you're going to shoot outdoors? Uh, I avoid that, it at all costs. <laughs> yeah. Is that black be- black belt level and just don't do it? No, the problem is is the the variables with the lighting. You know, using sunlight is great, but it's you know on a bright sunny day you can't take a you can't just put a, a knife on a you know picnic table and, and go. Cause it's going to, you're going to see all kinds of bright stuff, you know, shiny spots and that kind of thing. So you have to bring your photo tent out there and set it up and, and that would be fine. But if you're going to do like a, like a you know glamor shot or a, an action shot, like of it in, you know, chopping down a tree or stuck in a branch or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of going to be a, a trial and error thing. That's where your cell phone would work fine because it'll kind of adjust for all the lighting and everything. Uh, that'd be, that'd be great. But like the, the camera that I have doesn't have a flash. So I'd have to bring my lights out there. Um, it, it's specifically set up for a studio style, you know, with, with strobe lighting. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've done it with my phone, you know, taking a, a shot of it, like stuck in a, a tree stump or something like that. that that's where your, your cell phones would really would be beneficial because they, like I said, they auto adjust for stuff. So is there a time of day that's generally better for shooting outdoors? Is there like a a, a morning or dusk um, like soft light kind of thing? Or is that? It's it's really going to just depend on the cloud cover, you know, the like high noon would be fine if, if there's clouds because it'll be a nice diffused light bright enough. Um, if you're if you're doing something like early morning or or, you know, the sun's starting to go down, you might get, you know, a little bit of uh, kind of some weird shadowing going on, depending on, on where you're shooting. It's really good. That's going to be kind of a trial by error thing, you know. So, yeah, it'd be tough to say unless I'm, you know, they're doing it. It'd be tough to say. Yeah, especially for what we're doing. I know lots of people for like house photography and outdoor mm-hmm. photography prefer the like golden hour type stuff. But for what we're doing, being such a small area, it's a little bit more advantageous to control the light. Right. It depends. I mean, if you're doing, you know, like if, if you're doing like a wedding shot and you want to get that kind of sunset view, whatever, you're not you're not focusing on the two people in the photo. You're focusing on the background, the sun, the beautiful sunset and it's just a different, different focus for what you're trying to do. Whereas with the knife, you want to focus on the knife, you know, so then you need the better lighting. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen all different kinds of photos and sometimes it's like, yeah, the, the photo is cool, but I can't see the knife. You know, it's hard to tell what it really is. Somebody like put it on the ground and a bunch of, you know, the foliage of the, you know, the forest. And it's like, that looks great, but I can't really see what, what's going on with the knife. You know? Yeah. Well, and as we all know, the knife is what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, if it's your business, you're trying to promote your stuff, trying to sell your stuff. That's that needs to be the standout of the photo, you know. So that's why I said the the you know the busier the knife, the plainer the background. You you want the knife to to be what stands out. So, uh, is there any any software that you can recommend other than Photoshop, or is that pretty much the um, only thing you've 
you've used? Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much the only thing I've used. Um, I know there's other um, stuff like you know like Lightroom you can use. That's a little bit more basic um, as far as some of the functionality goes. Uh, apps on the phone, I don't I don't really know. I haven't really you know done too much of that. Yeah, I, I mainly just use Photoshop um, for for pretty much everything I do. Uh, I'm gonna go at this from a slightly different direction. Are there any things that you should not use? Mm, as far as software goes, yeah. Like, um, is there is there any gimmicky stuff? Um, the, the filters on Instagram, I, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> so there's there's been several times where I I send a photo to somebody and then they post it on Instagram and it's like that's not the photo I sent you. You have some kind of a filter on it. You know, it's a real blue or a whatever filter, and and they they say I didn't I didn't change anything. It's like, oh, well, you mean Juno? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, whatever those the names of them are, and um, so then I've you know I've said to people like, hey, that you gotta you gotta check when you are uploading it that it's just on the normal natural photo because Instagram and Facebook they like to to add those funky filters and which is fine for you know if you're taking a shot of you and your friends at the bar or whatever, but but I mean yeah, as far as any other you know softwares or anything, I'm I'm not really sure as far as what not to use. Um, I guess whatever you're comfortable you know using and editing with really just a matter of putting in the, the time and, and, you know, getting good at whatever. And, and with, with Photoshop, I mean, I, I'm, I'm using maybe 5% of Photoshop, you know, the, the total capabilities of it are, are ridiculous. Um, I, I'm not using nearly the, the, the full working power of what, what you can do with Photoshop. I'm just doing basic, you know, blending and, you know, some light, light sharpening, a little bit of kind of color adjustment if needed, but it's very minimal what I'm actually doing because the initial photos start off, you know, very good. I, blending them together is pretty quick and easy. It's just a matter of uh, you know, sometimes with the pearls and that kind of thing, you have to get a little bit, a little bit more in depth with it. But, but just a basic shot. I mean, it's it's just a matter of matching them up initially, blending them together, and then and then you're good. Mm-hmm. If uh, if somebody was wanting to learn a little bit more about Photoshop and stuff, is there any any resources you've come across thing or yeah. places you've yeah. learned from? Uh, I mean, you, YouTube is great. You know, if you you have a specific thing like. I want to blend layers together. There's a YouTube tutorial. It's, you know, five minutes long and you got it. Um, I know there's classes you can take on, on Photoshop, but again, they're going to be covering everything. They're going to be going through all of the stuff that you may not need. Um, so I would start with YouTube. I, that's what I did to initially learn stuff. But like I said, you know, earlier, uh, back in the day, I, I downloaded a, you know, a quote unquote legal copy of Photoshop, you know, and I was just playing around early on and I I guess I'm sort of self-taught. Um, there was, wasn't really YouTube stuff back then. Um, so, you know, but I, I have looked at them, you know, YouTube videos since then to, to kind of get a, a tip or trick here and there, but, but yeah, I would, I recommend that. Or, or if you want to go full, full depth, you can do classes. And, uh, if you, when you realize that, uh, taking photos is really hard and you want to, uh, send it to somebody, uh, we mentioned a few people. Yeah. Do you want to give anybody some, places to send it to anybody that you might know that might want to do some photo work. Yeah. I mean, either um, like you know, me or, or whose name might rhyme with Ori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can send them my way. Um, one of the, the kind of a newer thing that I, I give full credit to, to Caleb Royer for starting is the editing uh, stuff that he does. And, and that was kind of a, a COVID thing where, you know, it's harder to send stuff, you know, to and from. And he said, well, I'll just, send me your pictures and then I'll edit the photo and it'll look like my finished product. Uh, so then, you know, people would take photos of them and, and I've talked to him about it and he said, yeah, it's, 
a lot of back and forth initially because they might send you, you know, kind of a, you know, less than usable photo. photos you can't do anything with. Yeah. And then he would say, Hey, you know, use this modeling putty and raise the back end up and stand over here and, and get this different angle. He kind of works with them to get the right angle. And then they send him a decent enough photo and then he just edits them. I, that's, that's great. I mean, I, I give full credit, you know, to him for that. Um, and since he's done that, there's been a bunch of other people who have kind of popped up doing that editing service. And then, uh, you know, yeah, obviously Jim Cooper, you know, would be, a That'd be my, my recommendation. Uh, I, I built a, a knife uh, a year ago and I had all three of us do a, a photo on it. Um, as far as I know, that's the only knife that all three of us have photographed w- within a short amount of time. Because I photograph knives like from somebody's collection that, you know, Jim has done five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. And um, so I, that was kind of a special project that, I mean, we can talk about that more um, on a, you know, that other podcast with my dad. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, any, any one of us would really you know, be, be good for photography stuff. It's really going to be the only way that you are going to get something in the books too. The editors of the the magazines and books, they, they used to take the maker photos, but then they, they received so many from professional photographers that there's just no point to even take a, a standard photo from a maker anymore. Um, Well, and why, why shift through piles and piles and piles of crappy photos when they know when a professional sends them a a photo it's going to be print ready. Exactly. Right. You know, and the other thing is, is patience too. You may send a photo or have, you know, have us do a photo. I, and I send them, they've used five-year-old photos before in that particular publication because it, it works with whatever page they're trying to do. You know, they're trying to do a page of tomahawks or something. And then it's like, oh, I took a photo five years ago of, of the one that they, they finally used. So, you know, it may not get in right away, but eventually it, you know, it might. And that's, it's just a numbers game. You got to just send them more than just one photo and hope for the best, you know. Well, so, I mean, part of when someone works with somebody like you, part of what you're paying for is a really good glamour shot that you can use. Yep. And the other part is you get in the circulation pool for some of the publications. Right. No guarantee, but there's a higher probability that if you put them in the pool, that they'll actually get picked up somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's really, you know, going to be beneficial in, in the long run if you if you do get something in the print. Um, yeah. And as far as I know, I mean, I don't even, I haven't, don't remember the last time that they used just a standard, you know, maker submitted photo. It's been probably at least five, six years since I've seen one. 10 years ago, they still wanted me to send them the knife to somebody that knew what they were doing. Right. So just to kind of put this to bed, because a lot of our listeners are, are kind of up and coming makers. Mm -hmm. If you're going to use your phone. We've talked a little bit about what you need. You don't need a tripod. You do need a, a light box and probably some reflectors. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I mean, there's not really much usable uh, editing software for a phone, is there? Um, I mean, there there might be, but I'm not sure. Maybe something <laughs> you're you too busy to- taking professional quality pictures. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, for if you're just doing a single. The, the nice part about Instagram and, and Facebook is you can upload, you know, multiple photos per post. So there's really not a whole lot of need to, to blend them if you don't if you don't have to. You know, you can take a front, a side, a back, a spine. You can take all those those pictures and then just upload them, you know, when you do your post on, on Instagram or whatever. And um, just having the, the correct lighting to show the knife in its true, you know, colors and in true view. Um 
when, when you start getting into some of the materials like, the, you know, the Mokotais and the, the Timascus and, you know, Damascus and pearls and various woods, it's, it's pretty difficult to, to get the coloration to be the exact way that it looks in, in real life. The last thing you want is, you know, to, to put up a photo and it's like, oh, it's amazing. And the guy buys it and he gets the handle, you know, and, and the handle's totally different color than what he thought it was. Yeah. You know, so you want to represent what you got the best way you can. Um, and that's really the, the temperature of the lighting, you know, that 5,500 Kelvin is, is what you're kind of been hoping for um, with your, just your desk lamps behind your diffuser with your cell phone. It should be pretty, pretty close to what the knife actually looks like. So that, you know, that's, that's a relatively, you know, kind of cheap way to get into it and have a decent enough photo where you can put it up on Instagram or your website and, and it'll be representing what you got in the best way, you know. Uh, and for just the, the quick crash course angles, like, do you typically want left to right, handle low? Do you want right to left, handle um, high? Are there any? For, for the majority of them, it, you know, the wherever the maker's name is located, some of them put them on you know, the, the left side, somewhere on the right side. Um, if it's a folder and you have a pocket clip, typically I will, the, the main view will be without the pocket clip. So that I call that the show side, for instance, yeah, the A side, the A side. And then I would do like a closed view of the other side the, with the clip. And then a third view would be the spine. Most of the time you, I, I go tip down into the left because the way that the cameras take the photo, um, it, it kind of skews the perspectives a little bit. Uh, the putty helps to raise up the handle a little bit. Um, but if you go tip up into the left or to the right, it makes the blade look a little bit shorter than it mm. might really be. Again, the putty helps. You can kind of kind of prop it up to to minimize that. But if you're just laying it flat on a background and standing at an angle, just the perspective of it, the blade is going to look shorter than it might be if the tip is up. Uh, so I would typically go tip you know, down um, for the main view. Um, it gives so the best kind of perspective of it. Angled. Uh, left down to right, tip yep. being down, handle being up. Yep, yep, exactly. Yep. And that kind of covers framing, uh, background, something non-reflective and yep. kind of bland. Kind of, yeah, a matte, kind of a more of a matte finish, um, kind of earthy tones, I guess. There are some knives that that do work better with kind of more red colors or green colors, but you have to keep in mind that any any color that you have on the background is going to typically reflect on the bottom side of the knife. So if you've got a, a polished blade, for instance, and you've got this green background, the edges of your knife are going to look green. That's just inevitable. Um, so then with, in that case, in Photoshop, I might go in and, and kind of desaturate that particular edge to make it look more gray. So it, you, know, you can kind of adjust it later on. But if you're just taking a, a photo with your cell phone, the, co the more colorful the background is, you're going to typically see that on the knife. It's going to reflect it back on, onto it. So um, that's why I try to stick with the kind of grays and light tans because that typically doesn't give a, you know, a bright, uh, you know, bright orange color to the, to a, a silver blade or whatever. So speaking of shine, I mean, typically we've got at least a satin finish, maybe mm -hmm. more on a blade. Yep. Um, and you're going to get that either that shiny spot or the blade is popping a lot hotter than the handle. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, is there something you can do to kind of balance that out so you don't? Yeah. You don't what it, so I'll give you a scenario. So a, a polished blade with a hollow ground, um, you know, a, hollow, a polished hollow ground bevels and then a, a satin finish on the, the flats. That's a, that's a nightmare scenario because <laughs> you can get one, you can get either the, the bevel to look good or the flat to look good, but usually not both. So what I'll do is I'll take 
some of that poster board or just a you know kind of a white sheet of construction paper and I'll hold it over the top of my diffuser tent in front of the light so I can adjust it and move it around and I can actually add kind of a, a darker shadow to the bevel of the blade um, uh. and then use my you know I'm, I'm I'm holding it with my left hand and I'm holding the camera with my right hand so it's kind of a kind of a tricky scenario to get it right but then I can snap it and it usually will add a nice shadow to the to the hollow ground to make it look like it's hollow ground. You know? But you're getting the shadow to fall on the shiny part. Correct. So like at a, a simpler level, if you've got uh, a high shine on the blade, then you try to get a shadow to fall across the blade so that the blade and the handle would look. Correct. Yeah. And that's, that's where that holding that piece of paper, because it has a hard edge. So yeah. I can move it in or out and I can, uh, I can walk that line forward or back. I can make it go right up to the guard or right up to the bolster or whatever. And then, you know, take the photo that way. So yeah, and you can angle it and tilt it. No, yep, exactly. All right, that one I'm uh, that one I'm putting in my back pocket for next week when I'm struggling with a. <laughs> Maybe I'll have Dan edit this one so he can take notes. <laughs> you know, I, I actually I'm just going to have Beth listen to it so she can critique me. <laughs> uh, so uh, you have any more questions there, Dan? I'm kind um, of out of ones. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I got kind of, I got kind of excited because uh, I really struggled with photography, and then Alex took some classes and he took over, and he's about to abandon me, and I'm all of a sudden having to realize that I need to take good pictures again. Yeah. Um, and we touched a little bit on why to use a professional photographer. So once you realize that, hey. I'm taking mediocre pictures, but I need some glamour shots. Mm -hmm. What should you look for for a photographer? And I guess the question would be, how do they contact you? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's going to be the uh, the ability to do like the, the multi-view stuff, I, I would say, is is pretty key. And that, that's pretty much all of us guys, you know, we're, we're able to do that. Because, like I said earlier, you you get a very brief amount of attention from people. So if you are trying to sell your product and they're just scrolling through, they can see the entire knife in, in one view, you know, uh, yeah. they might not, might not flip to the, to the left, like on Instagram for the second picture. If they don't like the first. Yeah. One. I mean, so, so like what I would do on, on my Instagram posts is I would have my main photo and then I would, with my phone, I would just zoom in on the blade and then take a screenshot and then zoom in on the bolster screenshot handle screenshot. So I'll turn my one photo into 10 or nine or whatever it is. Um, so you, if you do happen to scroll left, you can see more detail. You can kind of zoom in. Um, but that initial shot, you know, it's going to be a nice, sharp image. It's going to be the right background, you know. Um, That's way easier than trying to find a smoking hot model to hold it. Yeah. I mean, it, that's another. There are, there are some, you know, guys that do that, too. Um, Unless you're married to one. Yeah. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Yeah. And and really it's you know the 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 presence uh the online presence I would say you know Jim Cooper's got the the biggest following on Instagram and stuff like that. So you know he's he's going to have the you know probably the the most bang for your buck. And then um you know just the the sheer volume of stuff he gets into the books is is incredible. Uh it's it's kind of hard to beat that. Um so I you know I I know he's got a like a contact form that you can reach him. Um I'm on on Instagram you can reach me through it's Corey Martin Imaging. Can contact me there if you got something that you need photographed. Are you are you taking on new work right now, or are you just too backlogged? No, I, I would take on new work. I, I've really only done the you know kind of local shows, 
I, I used to be at the Blade Show. I don't, I don't remember, Dan, but I was, we were booth next to you uh, for a year or two. Oh, no, I, I remember. Yeah. And so, yeah. So my, my theory there was, you know, that my first year at the Blade Show, I was in one of the rooms outside and I thought I'll go in the room and, and set up there. And yeah, we were, we were booth right next to you. And I know, you know, the flashes going off was, was constant. <laughs> um, I, I finally found like the right angle because everything yeah. was awesome. And then the flash would go off. Yeah. And then there wouldn't be a right flash it, yeah. for 30 minutes and I'd get relaxed. And then the flash would be right there. Yeah. yeah so that, um, I mean, and that's a, just a lot of stuff to bring to the blade show. Um, so I, I, I didn't do that this year, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but you actually photographed two or three of my magazine photos. I do remember. Yes. Yep. I remember that. Like at least um, two, I think three of, of the shots that I got in were through you. Yeah, I mean, it's you know we're we all have uh, we all have the best you know chance for for makers to get stuff into the books. Um, yeah, so I mean, if you're if you're looking to get some photography work done, really just contact any any of us, and, and that's going to be your best shot to get something in the books. Um, and I'm sorry we got distracted. Are you going to be at Blade this year, or are you going to? Uh... Yeah, I'll, I'll be at Blade this year. I'm in booth um, five eighteen with my dad. Uh, it'll just be knives though, knives and yeah. chainmail, I should say. Uh, theoretically somebody wanted to get some shots done could they drop knives off with you sure yeah you can do that um mm -hmm. and then i can ship them either back to you or you know to your customer or whatever whatever you want to do oh that would be awesome if you just shipped it to the customer yeah because because like you mentioned earlier kyle you know the the thing is you like you spend this time making a knife and then the guy's ready to buy it and then you're like well wait you got to wait a week to get it photographed you know photographed or whatever and it's like yeah i'd rather just ship it right to the guy and Yep. collect the paycheck so yeah i mean we can i i will do it i know i know the other guys do it too where you can ship it to us we'll photograph it and then it's out out the door to your customer um my turnaround time is typically a couple days you know two days three days um and most customers respond really well when you tell them hey this knife is one that i really want to send to a professional photographer right um it it may go into a magazine People all of a sudden get really willing to wait a week or two to get their knife when you sure. tell them that. Sure. Yeah. And then in the future, if they ever open up a book and see their knife in a book, you know, it might be kind of cool too. Yeah. Yep. That'd be super cool. <laughs> I can't wait. Or uh, I'm hoping to, hoping it might be in one of those uh, knives annual books. Yeah. Oh, I'm not reaching that high. <laughs> I'm, I made the cover of Knives Illustrated. I, I hung my hat up. That's that's the mountain I was going to climb. Yeah, at uh, at the Badger Show, Eugene uh, Shadley had uh, they're all the the nineties. I pretty much got everything from the nineties Knives Annual books. So bought nine of the nine of the ten from the nineties from him that he was getting rid of. Yeah, I've had um, I think. Um, since 2014, I think I've had something in, you know, books ever since, um, at least, at least, you know, a handful of photos. I made the cover of, of Knives Annual twice. Um, nice. Yeah. So it used to be where, where they would, they had their own photographer and you'd have to send the knife to them and then they would photograph it for the cover. Um, and then more recently they just used some of, some of our stuff. Hmm. Um, so I think it's, Two, three years ago, there was one from me, one from Caleb, and one from, from Jim Cooper on, on the cover, uh, which was pretty cool. That was, that was pretty neat. Um, yeah. 
Well, they, they figured out it was cheaper to buy from you than keep somebody on staff. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you actually, one of the, the I don't know if you remember the knife Jess Hoffman made. Uh, it's kind of like a cemetery looking knife. Uh, he, he was doing a giveaway at Blade Show. I think it was like 2019 or something like that. I actually won that knife and saw it in Knife Magazine and yeah. stuff like that. So it was super cool. Like, not only do I... Or uh, do I know that knife? I have that knife. Right, right. <laughs> you just grew like two inches. Yeah. My head. Just my head. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, so you mentioned a little bit. Uh, what are some ways people get in contact with you? You said on Instagram, Corey Martin Imaging. Yeah, that's that's the, the best way. Um, not uh, I, I'm, I really don't have a Facebook. I, I did, but it's all my just like personal stuff. I never updated it, so. I think that's no longer in existence but yeah the instagram is really the best way to get a hold of me okay well, facebook is for old people anyway yeah i mean i i never really was into even like when myspace came out like i never was into that uh facebook not so much wow you are my age yeah i mean I'm, i'll be 38 this year <laughs> yeah it, it's uh, a few I'm, more years older than that yeah uh i'm 38 <laughs> uh, yeah i was never on myspace but uh uh I was started on Facebook when it, Purdue was one of the first like 30 schools that they rolled out to. So that was the the big hot thing, everybody. And it was actually really cool. You could like see people that you were in class with. Yeah. And then then they opened it up to like everybody. So and then the plebeians got involved and, you know, <laughs> yeah, it became less cool. All right. Do you, was there anything else you want to let the, the listeners know about anything upcoming or? before we we sign off um no i mean just the um you know the, the knife stuff that we'll do in another another podcast uh that's no, kind of I, a whole nother story uh yeah i really want to have you and your dad on to yeah gonna cover that together yeah my my photography story you know it, it started with with him um and it it's obviously grown with him um and it it's kind of uh it, it's intertwined with that but yeah that would be a a good story to tell of the what we what him and i have going on now uh, so yeah, we can definitely do that at a later date. And you guys seem to actually like working with each other, which is uh... we haven't we haven't killed each other yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand a family business where you like working together. Yeah, my my one one of my twin boys, uh, he's he's been saying, "I want to be a knife maker. I want to be a maker like Daddy." So like, we'll see how that works out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so hopefully, he still does. But uh, all right. Uh, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Knife Perspective and you can find the podcast on any podcasting app. Uh, you can also get some uh, stickers and stuff on the, the website, uh, knifeperspective.com and uh, help the show out that way and help uh, get the word out. Uh, please give us a rating review of wherever you're listening to the podcast that supposedly helps really get the word out about and make us up here higher in search results and you can keep in touch with dan eastland of dogwood custom knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com and he's dogwood custom knives on facebook and instagram and you can keep in touch with me kyle daly of cage daily knives i'm on um, cage daily knives on facebook and instagram and twitter and tiktok and uh kyle at cage daily knives.com is the best email to get in touch with me and i want to thank you Corey. it was uh great getting to talk to you and uh, yeah, learn, learn a little bit more about how to make my photos not suck as bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right. You want to say good night, Dan? Good night, Dan. 
Well, let's take it to the edge, cause that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night prospective. You gonna break your bottle again this time? No, no, no. See, I'm using my small decanter. <laughs> so uh, if you break that thing, you're gonna probably cry. I actually I will, <laughs> um, and not just because I broke it, but because what Melissa will do to me for breaking the my going away present. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you didn't listen to the last podcast, Corey uh, Dan broke a big bottle of Belvedere vodka on the on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, it was freaking 1.75 Magnum. Um, and I had to run to take a piss and I bumped it. It was on the floor and it just toppled over and shattered. Uh, all right. You're, I'm classy. You got you anything else? You ready? 